and welcome to another episode of Small Town Sports Talk. As always, I'm Jonah Freeman with Andrew Willett, and uh, today we have another special guest. Andrew? That's absolutely right, Jonah, but first, tell me, what is the month? May. It's May, exactly, and that's the month where you'll, you'll typically, you can pin your calendar that you're going to hear this guy's voice, and this next guest, we're, we are really excited for him. He is actually from my high school and Jonas High School, and my hometown of Monrovia. He broadcasts for IHSA Champions TV Network, is an anchor for IndyCar Radio, and is the radio voice of the Indy 500. He won the 2018 Indiana Sportscaster of the Year, and through all of this, I've been lucky enough to call him a teacher and genuinely my role model. One of the best in the business, we are proud to welcome Mr. Mark Janes to ST Squared. Guys, it's a pleasure. Andrew, I appreciate the introduction, but I've already put your grade in. You can't do any better. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what are, you, what are you guys doing to me here? You have an A-lister like Matt Painter on, and did you follow him up with a hack like me? Oh, God, what kind of pressure you're putting on me? No, okay. no congratulations, congratulations, seriously, on your show. Uh, really great stuff. I, I, I heard most of the interview with, uh, with Greg a couple of weeks ago, and then I happened to be in the studio uh, social distancing from Andrew while he, uh, you guys did your interview with Coach Painter. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm honored to be in company like that as a guest for sure. And congratulations on your early success, and I hope this continues for you for sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, just like always, we want to start off and ask – how are you and how's your family? Because obviously we're doing well. Thank you. Uh, you know, most of uh, most of my family are in education in some way, shape, or form. My wife is uh, an academic advisor at IEPUI. My daughter-in-law is uh, is a guidance counselor uh, for Perry Township Schools. Uh, my daughter teaches at Decatur Central High School, and my son coaches at and teaches or coaches at Zionsville, but teaches at Avon Middle School South. So we've all kind of been you know working uh, the the same quote unquote grind, if you will. I think the one that probably has benefited most from this is my son-in-law, who's uh, a route salesman for Frito-Lay. He's been setting sales records the last couple of months from all the people staying at home eating potato chips. So, uh, uh, but, but most importantly, we're all happy and healthy, and, uh, and I know you guys and your families are too, and, uh, and, and that's the good news for sure. And uh, hopefully we'll get, get back to some sense of normalcy soon, and, uh, and uh, we'll get back uh, to being able to spend time with one another on a more regular basis. We're, we're really glad to hear it, Mr. Jens. Um, uh, going right into it, you mentioned Dred Straw earlier. We had him on our show. You were recently on his show, The Rage Show, where uh, I know you already mentioned it, but we want to ask you, you said that you wanted to be a major league baseball player growing up, and obviously I was going to be an NBA player when I was growing up, but you had a conversation with your principal where he asked you what you were going to do. You told him that. Uh, what did your principal tell you at Hall Elementary School, and really, how did you get into broadcasting? Well, you know, earlier this week uh, out at uh, Monrovia, all, all three of our school buildings did a, um, uh, you know, I'll call it a parade, even though you're not supposed to. Uh, a caravan, I guess, is the more politically appropriate term given the times. Huh. And and I had our brand new head football coach, Andy Olson, who was an assistant of mine several years ago in the car with me. And we were driving by Hall Elementary, which, of course, is the birthplace of, of, of John Wooden, the legendary coach from UCLA. And, and I said, you see that stoop right there coming up from the playground? I said, I was I was coming in from recess one day, and um, we had a retired Marine Colonel, Niall Denny, who was our principal. And uh, mm-hmm. he did so much for so many kids in so many ways. And, and, and he stopped me, and he said, he always called me Howard Cosell, who was uh, – 
you know, obviously a, a larger than life sports personality at the time. And he said, Howard, what do you think you want to do with the rest of your life? Which he, he would ask, start asking kids when they were in sixth grade. And I said, I'm going to be a major league baseball player. He said, well, I've watched you play softball the last couple of days here during recess. You might want to rethink that because you're not very good. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, thank you for the voting confidence. And he goes, come with me. And so uh, we went into his office, which was, was one of the rare times I was in there without getting a board on my backside which is what they did for discipline in those days. But uh, he sat me down and said, you know, with your obvious love of sports and your inability to keep your mouth shut, you ought to think about a career in broadcasting and journalism. And uh, for some reason, it just stuck with me. And, um, you know, I, I, I asked for a realistic cassette recorder for Christmas uh, that year from my parents. Uh, I, would, I would pull games up on the television and, and call back to play-by-play. Um, I would get guys in my neighborhood to make up mock Indy 500s and, and, you know, they would be various drivers like AJ Floyd and Rick Mears and Mario Andretti and, and any, any school project that I had, uh, if it was a science class, I did one on weather forecasting and, and I would write the meteorologist on television at the time and ask them for cloud charts and help and everything. So, you know, it just, it, it, it kind of became a passion for whatever the reason. And, um, you know, I got I got into journalism when when I was in high school and 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 started uh, you know involvement in the in the football program and basketball programs and then uh, my sophomore year in high school uh, the radio station in Martinsville, Indiana, WCBK came calling and wanted somebody to do uh, three minute sports reports on on Monrovia football and basketball. Um, I had to call them in by eleven o'clock on game night. That was my deadline. I got paid five dollars a game. And if halfway through the season I missed my deadline and called it like 11.05, then any money that I had made to that point was wiped out and I had to start all over again. And I did not get paid until the respective seasons were over. I didn't get paid till the end of football, didn't get paid till the end of basketball. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I did that for three years in high school and, 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 and kind of dug a little deeper into journalism and yearbook and things of that nature. And then, um, you know, uh, started to go to IUPUI, but about the time I started that process, WCBK called and, uh, and asked me if uh, I had any interest in a, in a morning news position. Uh, it wasn't full-time, but it was enough hours and it was an opportunity and I took it. And, uh, you know, that started me essentially on this, uh, or those are the early stages of this crazy journey that landed me where I am today. Right. Um, not many people can say to the voice of the Indy 500 and like when you you go on to that broadcast and people listen, not everyone understands that you are a teacher. And Andrew mentioned that he's been fortunate to have you. What is it like being a teacher, being with students and getting to teach them all the things that you've learned like throughout your career? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I wish honestly uh, that 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 all of them, the overwhelming majority uh, of, of our kids, are very receptive to the lessons that we teach and the way we teach them. Uh, but but I think you know Andrew and then another student named Mason Hadley, uh, those are probably the two that I've had to this point that have 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 bought into it in its entirety, um, in, in terms of, of of not only. Uh, following my direction, uh, but also learning the value of of networking and and building that work network and and the benefits that it has, and that's that's what it boils down to for me. I mean, you know, I, I can't remember the last time, honestly, I interviewed for a job. Um, I, I always have had opportunities to to better my position based upon the contacts that I've made, and and once I establish that contact, I 
I, you know, I, I, I try to maintain it over the course of time. I mean, a case in point, a, a number of years ago in 1983, I was doing the PA for Monrovia basketball, and we hired a young coach uh, out of uh, Kokomo Hayworth named Paul Kaiser. And uh, he was only there one year, but, you know, we worked closely together while he was head basketball coach and I did the PA. Well, you know, a few years later, I'm at Martinsville doing radio. He has since landed at Decatur Central as a principal. So I see him. I go to have the bleachers. We sit and talk. And then just a couple of years later, I'd left broadcasting full time and I was teaching at Monrovia. And guess who we hire as superintendent? Uh, we hired Paul Kaiser. And so we worked together again, and then eventually Dr. Kaiser offered me the opportunity to go help build the communication program at, uh, at, at, at Beach Grove High School. And, and those five years that I was there, I, I, I you know, made some, some wonderful contacts for sure, and most of those people I still keep in contact with. So you know, it, 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 I think the biggest benefit to our kids more than anything else is that in the three years that I've been there, we've had uh, Chris Widlick from TV4. Uh, the kids have had a chance to interact with Kristen Airy, uh, with Mark Boyle, uh, with Greg Rakestraw. Um, they've also had an opportunity to 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 interact with you know uh, the, the people behind the scenes in media from the IHSAA's broadcast wing and their communications department, and and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, we just right before school was out, uh, we, we we took I think was a really cool field trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum, and I got to talk to Donald Davidson and Jake Query, and I got to take them on the fourth floor of the the media center. And Jonah, you and your dad were there a year ago, so um, I, I think. It's cool that, that – and I've taken kids with me to state championship events in the past at both Beach Grove and Monrovia. So um, I, I, I'm pleased at the fact that, you know, that I'm able to share the benefits of, of my hard work uh, and what I've been lucky enough to accomplish in my career with our students and, and hopefully set them on a similar path to success for sure. So you've been uh, teaching and – and you've also coached. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you you mentioned that you did Minervia football and basketball uh, as a high schooler, but you got into coaching for high uh, varsity football and softball. W- what are your what What do you miss about that? And uh, would you ever go back to that? Well, I you know I I started at, at 19 years old again, very very young. I started coaching in the youth league baseball program in Monrovia, and then uh, when I went to Terre Haute, uh, you know I got out of coaching for a few years, and then uh, when I came back, uh, Todd Croy, who I'd gotten to know, who was on Jim Kaiser's football staff at the time, uh, Todd had asked me to be his assistant baseball coach, um, and and I did. Uh, I, I did help him, and then the very next year, um, I, we decided to take over the softball program. And uh, in a single class system, we won the Mooresville sectional that year, and um, and and we actually made it to the championship game of the Rockville Regional. And then I took over as the head coach for one year, and and to be honest, my my kids were getting older, and they were getting involved in youth league sports, and uh, you know I, I had a hard time being away uh, coaching you know other kids when I had kids that were involved, and it was a you know, too much of a burden, quite frankly, to, to, to place upon my wife to try to juggle, you know, two different schedules uh, with, with them. And plus, you know, she she had a very time consuming job at the time. And so, you know, I'm, I made the decision, as some coaches do, to to put their family first. That's not to say that those that don't give it up are putting their family first. But, you know, it just, I guess I reprioritized. And then, you know, I slowly but surely got back into youth league coaching with my kids and then. Once they got up and got to be a little older, uh, I was offered the opportunity to become a middle school football coach at Monrovia. 
um, and uh, took that and uh, ran that program, I think, for seven years. And then I joined Kevin Hutchins' staff um, in uh, 2009, which was the first year Monrovia went to the state championship. We lost a close game to yeah. uh, uh, Fort Wayne Bishop Lures. And then uh, Kevin left, went to Mooresville. It was the opportunity to take over as head coach. I did that for two years. Uh, quite frankly, I had some philosophical differences uh, with, with the superintendent at the time. Um, I'll do her the favor of not mentioning her name. But um, an opportunity, uh, you know, was made available for me to go uh, to go teach at, uh, at Beach Grove High School after I'd gotten back into radio for about six weeks in Terre Haute and hated every minute out of that. I won't spend a lot of time on that either. Um, but but during that tenure at Monrovia, not only did I help, you know, coach varsity football and, and was the head football coach, I did help with the varsity softball for a couple of years and coached some middle school basketball. And, it, and I'll tell you, I, I admire any athlete – um, I know you guys have been involved with basketball and golf and, and track and field and whatnot. And, and I, I guess for me at this point, um, I, I find racing more enjoyable and a lot less taxing on my time. Um, uh, there's a lot of issues nowadays that don't have anything to do with X's and O's and, and teaching and coaching fundamentals. But I think more than anything else, I, I just don't want to invest the time and I don't want to have that expectation level of, of, of kids. I, I think we heap high expectation level on kids in the classroom, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't like the aspect of, of of not only it being year round, but if you're a multi-sport athlete, when the summertime rolls around in a typical summertime setting, you've got a basketball coach, a football coach, a cross country coach. You've got all these people, you know, who want a piece of your time and. Quite frankly, some there are athletes at Monrovia that are involved in band, and, and I don't, you know, Coach Willett is flexible, but he also has an expectation level of his program in order to maintain the level of success that that you all have enjoyed with the band program. And so, you know, um, I guess my biggest uh, advantage now that 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 really doesn't scratch the itch or or created a strong desire is my son's defensive coordinator at Zionsville. And so I can go watch him be frustrated on Friday nights. And, uh, you know, my daughter had coached up until this year and, and we got to go see them a few times. So, um, you know, I, I do miss, um, the close personal relationship you have with kids. Um, I miss the time off the practice field with the staff. You know, we had a team dinner every week as a staff on game nights before our games. And then, you know, we would gather after practice every day and then plan the practice for the next day. I, I do miss that camaraderie. I miss the energy of rolling out of bed on a Friday morning, knowing that you have a game uh, that night. But, but I guess all of those things combined, I, I, I guess I don't miss them enough to want to go back to it for sure. Mm. So uh, now now just teaching and obviously a broadcaster, you mentioned it's all in who you know. And you also, you always tell me to take whatever did I can get and just work my way up. What is the weirdest did that you ever did? I'd say the weirdest thing that, uh, well, the, the, the one thing that people would might be surprised about is that I co-emceed the uh, Morgan County Fair 4-H livestock auction for a number of years. So not the uh, Cornhole Tournament. Ever. Kurt Everett, who's a Monrovia grad, was the auctioneer, and 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 the 4-Hs would bring their livestock out, and then businesses would bid on them because it was a way for huh. kids to get some money back on their investment. And then it was my job to read off who that business owner uh, was and, and and say a little blurb about their business. I will say there was one thing that I was set to do, but Mother Nature intervened several years ago. Rick Vanderweilen. I think, Andrew, you've met Rick. He's involved with the IHSAATV.org website. But, 
but, yeah. but Rick had a production company and he called me and they were going to offer me the chance to go, go to a casino in Louisville and spend two days calling a cornhole tournament on cable television. Yes. It was the king of cornhole. And I went back and watched some of the previous broadcasts on YouTube. And this thing got thousands and thousands of views. But sadly, the day that we were supposed to leave for Louisville, a big winter storm hit the Midwest. They canceled it. They never made it up. And I, I didn't get the opportunity to, to, to do cornhole uh, again. But, you know, I, I have for a number of years now uh, done uh, girls for, for, for a few years. I did the boys. Uh, swimming and diving, and I, I don't even know how to swim. Uh, but uh, fortunately for, for me, uh, I have a world class analyst uh, by the name of Tony Young, who's the head of Indiana Swimming, and I just pretty much get out of his way and let him do his thing. I introduce the kids, and then and then he runs with it. Same thing with wrestling. I watched a lot of wrestling, don't know a lot about it, but I've got Mike Gable sitting next to me, who's one of the most successful coaches in the history of of high school wrestling anywhere in the country. And I also have as the other analyst, Blake Maurer, who was a four-time state champion at modern day and wrestled at Ohio State. So I just kind of, again, I introduce the kids. I get us to commercial. I come back and 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 and, and, and just keep things moving. That's kind of my job. So You just mentioned a couple of the people you work with um, as far as high school sports go. You do a lot of high school games, a lot of high school sports. Do you have a state championship game that you've called that is just above others? Uh, it wasn't a state championship game, oddly enough. It was a semi-state game, and it was just a couple of years ago uh, when David Bell hit that shot uh, down at Seymour in the semi-state to beat yeah. Romeo Langford in New Albany. Um, it just from the time you pulled into the parking lot, well, I didn't pull into the parking lot. It was full by the time I got there, two hours before tip-off. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, uh, just the atmosphere. I mean, uh, the state fire marshal turning people away because there were so many people there. Um uh, you know, and, and it was just um, uh, one of many memorable uh, games, I guess. It's it's hard to put my finger on one. That would probably be near the top. Uh, I called Gordon Hayward's last second shot for Brownsburg that he hit to win a state championship. Nice. Um, I did, um, I did uh, the uh, regional semi-state and state finals the year that, that Damon Bailey won it with Bedford North Lawrence. And that was certainly a memorable experience when, when I was in Terre Haute. So, um, you know, uh, it, it, I, it, it's hard to put my finger on one. And the reason I say that is because it's such an honor and a privilege to be a part of it. And I don't care if it's football, basketball. I've done baseball and softball and, and wrestling and swimming and diving. I mean, to me, high school athletics are the purest for, form of sport left in America. Uh, and it is by and large, made up of people who are competing purely for the love of the game and the opportunity to succeed. And, uh, and uh, I think that's what I uh, certainly enjoy, enjoy most about it. And uh, um, I've been blessed for sure uh, to have called some great games and some great venues over the years. But if if you're going to force me to nail down one, it would be David Bell's uh, shot against New Albany uh, to propel Warren Central to the state championship at the the semi-state a couple of years ago. Yeah, Mr. Jens, I I went to the that regional with you, Romeo Lanford's uh, regional, and the crowd's just insane. High school basketball in Indiana is something different. Yeah, I think you had what? Did you have solo and ensemble the following weekend or something? Did I Dad think so. <laughs> yep, I missed your favorite moment, just like that. <laughs> so, uh, 
something different in Indiana. The month of May in Indianapolis. Uh, let's transition here to the Indianapolis 500. Uh, what were you most looking forward to for this year's Indy 500? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's just the month in its entirety. As, as you guys know, uh, I can walk to the Pagoda in about 15 minutes from my home in Speedway. And, you know, I've told people that, my gosh, as, as soon as the calendar turns over to May 1st, you can start to feel the energy build. And, uh, uh, you know, when you're driving around just with your windows down, there's the, the proverbial electricity in the air. And, you know, on Main Street, there's so many restaurants and shops and stuff. And each and every night, they get busier and busier. We get through the Grand Prix weekend early in May. And then we start practice for the 500. And then, of course, we have qualifying and the run for the pole. And, you know, everyone who follows the sport and follows the 500 remember, you know, Kyle Kaiser and his small Hoop Coast racing team knocking a two-time Formula One champion out of the 500 last year in Fernando Alonso. And then, you know, Carb Day and the festivities. And then on Saturday, you have the driver's meeting and Legends Day. And, and the list goes on and on and on. And then the, 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 the lid blows off the pot uh, on race day, which is Sunday. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give the Indianapolis Motor Speedway credit, also the Speedway Town Council. Uh, they have strongly encouraged people here in the Speedway area uh, to continue to decorate as though it were a typical month of May. Um, myself, uh, Dave First, our friend from WRTV6, who's been so good to us at Monrovia, and our driver analyst, Davey Hamilton, who has 11 500 starts, uh, have been asked by the Speedway Arts Council uh, to to judge uh, a, a porch decoration competition. So we're, we'll, we'll be doing that tomorrow and picking a winner because there are a lot of people here in town who have decorated as though it is time for the 500. And so uh, I, I know in talking to people around the neighborhood and around the area, they're going to do uh, parties on Sunday uh, for sure, as though it were race day. And uh, our flagship station, 107.5 and 1070, the fan, starting at uh, 10 a.m., will be carrying back-to-back flag-to-flag repeat broadcast from uh, the 100th 500 that Alexander Rossi won and then last year's 500, which Simon Pagino won. So uh, uh, we're going to do what everybody else does. Uh, We're going to get together with some family and uh, in the appropriate numbers, of course. And and it's going to be a little weird, honestly, having a picnic or a party in our backyard and listening to all of us, including myself on the radio and, and not being there. But I guess that's what they call just making the best of an unfortunate situation. For sure. Um, one, one thing I, I want you to do a uh, real twist. You did it on the race show, but if you could retell the story about when you received uh, the job of being the voice of the Indy 500. Oh, well, yeah. Glad to, uh, I'll never forget it. I mean, um, uh, you know, I had been with the network for, for 19 years, uh, 18 years, actually. And um, Mike King stepped down as, as uh, the anchor uh, of the radio network. And uh, uh, Paul Page was offered the opportunity to, to come back. Paul had succeeded the late Sid Collins as the anchor, anchored for a number of years before he moved on to television. Uh, well, uh, his television career uh, had, had, had ended uh, because the, the, the contract went to a different network. And while I'll admit to being disappointed at the time, I understood. I mean, that was Paul Page, uh, you know, as, as, as big a name as there was in motorsports broadcasting, and, and I understood it. And so, you know, I, I, I bided my time and, um, and uh, you know, welcomed Paul back into the fold and, and uh, tried to help him make the transition back into radio the best I could. 
uh, it was an opportunity to develop a, a relationship with a legend for sure, which I did. I mean, I had Paul over to my house for dinner and we met for meals and things of that nature and, and traveled together a lot, which there were a lot of people in motorsports that would have given anything to have the relationship with Paul Page that I, I was having with him for sure. Um, uh, but then, you know, they were, they were going to, uh, to hire a new anchor and they had some different ideas that they were putting together about maybe not having an anchor and just having a host from our Indianapolis studios and throwing it out to us on site. And so, you know, I, I requested a meeting not only with our general manager, but also with the president of IMS uh, production, who was, uh, our, you know, that's our parent company. And, uh, so I, I, I went in and, and, and basically, you know, resold myself and I said, you know. If you look at, 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 at Vince Welch and Kevin Lee, you look at Bob Jenkins, you look at Paul Page, all of those guys, there's a number of guys that came to work for the IMS Radio Network and used it as a conduit to get them to television. I said, I'm not that guy. I said, I am and always will be a radio guy. And if NBC comes calling me tomorrow, I'm going to politely decline. Now, I know I'm probably going to cost myself a lot of money, but this radio network is all I've ever wanted to be a part of. And I have never once inquired about being a part of the television broadcast. And so um, I thought the meeting went well. And then, um, and then uh, you know, after we got through the holidays, I was uh, a time assistant athletic director at Beach Grove. And um, our network director said, hey, I've got a friend of mine who uh, swims at, uh, their kid swims at Park Tudor. You guys hosted the conference swim meet this Saturday. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm going to come. And I said, okay, that's fine. I didn't think anything about it. And I didn't ask him about it. And so we're standing right outside the pool at Beach Grove in the hallway and just out of the clear blue sky, he says, by the way, I talked to Robbie, and you are officially the next anchor of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, IndyCar Radio, and you're the new radio voice of the 500. And um, I, I thought I was going to hit the floor. Uh, my, my knees just it went, went, went weak. And, um, you know, I, I gathered myself, and, and we talked a little bit. He said, we can't release it yet. He said, we need to hammer out some details, and uh, we'll get together soon and talk more about it. And uh, I said before he left, I said, Wally, I said, I don't know if it means anything to you or not. I said, but uh, I want you to understand. I said, you've made someone's dream come true. I hope you can have a full appreciation for that. And I went into the uh, main gym and sit down on the bleachers. There was nobody in there and the lights were out and I just broke down uh, and, and for about 15 or 20 minutes till I could uh, till I could call my wife and uh, share the news with her, uh, which I did. And um you know, I had to sit on it for four or five days until the announcement was made. But that's uh, a moment I'll never forget for sure. It's an awesome story. Um, they call it the greatest spectacle in racing. What is your favorite part about everything that goes into the 500? Well, I think, you know, you, you, you ask and answered the question. It's everything that goes into the Indy 500. Absolutely everything. I mean, um, uh, it, it's, um, it, it's knowing that you're a part of the, ling the largest single day sporting event in the world. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity to see the, the joy that it brings to, uh, to, to the people that, it, that attend it. it. It's a joy to, uh, share our stories with members of the media who ask, uh, you know, for interviews and things of that nature. Um, you know, it's, it's all the pomp and circumstance that surrounds the month. Um, it's, um, you know, uh, qualifying it's, it's practice, it's, it's carb day. And then of course, race day is the thing that I probably enjoy, uh, the most obviously because of all the energy that, that surrounds race day. What's that, Mr. Dent? I said because of primarily because of all the energy that surrounds race day for sure. Oh Yeah. 
Well, I'm I'm right here looking at the IndyCar.com uh, for the updated schedule. You can see it right here, the uh, 104th running of the Indianapolis 500, August 23rd. How are things going to be different in August, and what challenges could face drivers? Uh, well, first of all, I've, I've got to give Roger Penske, our new owner, um, I've got to give uh, you know all the management uh, with the NTT IndyCar Series and Mark Miles and Jay Fry a tremendous amount of credit for what they've been able to accomplish in terms of making adjustments to our schedule. Uh, they've done a magnificent job of it. And then we have to thank promoters at the, the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course and uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway and East St. Louis for being willing to move their dates. In order for us to maintain the sanctity and the tradition of two full weeks leading up to the 500, which is what we will have in August. And while certainly, you know, weather could be a factor, although I remember plenty of hot days in late May for the 500 in the past, mm -hmm. cool days as well. Uh, I think more than anything else, once we get rolling uh, with those two weeks and we get through a week of practice and then qualifying and then the following week build up to, to Carb Day and Legends Day and Race Day, I, I think we'll figure out pretty quickly that the while it's a different month, the feel will be very much the same, and I'm excited about that. Very nice. Um, how about uh, starting up June 6th, you said, in Texas? Uh, how how is IndyCar preparing for that with uh, coronavirus, and how are you getting ready for that? How is that going to be different for you? Uh, well, there, there won't be any fans in the facility, um, and uh, we are sending one pit reporter and one engineer. Nick Yeoman will go. And from what I understand, those two will actually never see each other. Rick will be in the TV compound outside of the racetrack, and he'll handle all the technical aspects of what Nick is doing. And then Nick will go into the infield where he will have to stay. Uh, they will fly into Dallas-Fort Worth that morning and go straight to the racetrack, and they'll have medical releases, and you know um, the temperature will have to be taken and, and have to follow protocols and guidelines. And uh, there won't be any one-on-one face-to-face -on -one interviews. They'll have a boom mic set up in Victory Lane to talk to the winner. Um, and, and and we'll have access to that feed. But uh, myself, our driver analyst, Davey Hamilton, and Jake Query will actually call the action from our studios here on 16th Street in Indianapolis off a multi-screen monitor, which will also have access to timing and scoring and to race control. Um, for some, that might be uh, a little difficult to fathom and a little difficult to pull off. But for us, we're kind of accustomed to it because over the past several years, uh, the IndyCar series has raced in both Japan and Brazil. And when we did those races, because the the travel was so expensive, uh, we would do those races from our studio. So this is not really anything new for us. It's different for sure. And uh, we would prefer to actually be there at Texas because it's just easier to follow the story. But uh, because of the fact your movement, what's inside the racetrack, if you even get in there, is so restricted. Um, we, we, you know, we some of us feel fortunate actually to be able to call it off a monitor here in Indianapolis. I bet the transitioning it's it has taken for just there's nothing to something as far as the virus goes. Um, you just mentioned it. No fans whenever racing returns in Texas, but one thing that they have been able to work on is the eye racing aspect. What has that been like, and have you found enjoyment in that? Well, I, you know, it's it's a generational thing. And, and and remember, I'm 56 years old, so I thought Pong and Super Pong were cool once upon a time, you know. Uh, the, just a little dot on the screen with a couple of paddles that you move back and forth. We thought that was the coolest thing ever invented. And, uh, you know, I watched it uh, because, um, you know, because it was something to watch that was live. 
it, it, it didn't quite hold my attention the way the real thing does. But, you know, whenever incidents would happen in any of those races, be they NASCAR or IndyCar, and people would say, listen, they're just, it's guys playing video games. Well, those guys don't see it like that. They're by and large a pretty competitive lot. And as you guys well know, if you're going to do that iRacing right, you're going to make a pretty healthy investment in it in terms of the dollars and cents. I mean, the equipment's pretty expensive if you're if you're going to do it big time. And, and I think all you need to know about the validity of it was the fact that most drivers were using their actual race team engineers to help them with their setup. Uh, so, you know, I commend NASCAR, I commend IndyCar, I commend NBC, and I commend Fox for broadcasting those events and giving people something to watch. But more than anything else, along with the driver's efforts uh, on their various social media platforms, they did their darn well best to stay connected with their fans and even create new ones, I think, at a time when there just wasn't a lot going on. For sure. Uh, what have you, other than that, what what have you been watching? Because obviously no sports. What, what, how have you been uh, keeping up with TV, anything? A lot of Netflix. You know, I mean, uh, we're... We're all Parks and Rec and Office fans for sure, but um, of course, you know, uh, you know, Ozark returned to Netflix. We watched it, uh, but uh, you know, whenever there's a a, a game of, of significance, uh, I watched a, 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 a I forget it might have been a, the it was a 2017 national championship game for college football between Clemson and Alabama. I watched a little bit of that. Um, I pulled up uh, recently Fox Sports Ohio ran all four games of the of the 1976 World Series uh, between the Reds and the Yankees. And uh, and and I watched uh, quite a few of those games online. So, you know, I've, I've tried to keep myself as, as, as connected to sports as I can. But, you know, quite frankly, I've probably uh, probably read more uh, than 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 than, you know, I, I, I typically would do. I mean, I just finished a book not too long ago about Bear Bryant. I'm right in the middle of a book now that Frank Gifford wrote about they call the greatest game ever played, the NFL championship game between the, the Giants and the Baltimore Colts, uh, which is a, a very good read. And uh, now that Half Price Books is reopened, I'll I'll probably uh, head back there, exchange some old books and uh, and bring some new ones out. So, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're doing what we can to get through this time um, about once a week. Uh, matter of fact, I'm doing it later today. Uh, Lance Scheib, good friend of mine, my broadcast partner, uh, former legendary player at Warren Central in Purdue and a longtime coach and now broadcaster. Uh, we meet at Shapiro's Deli in downtown Indianapolis and uh, get our uh, get our food takeout and we take lawn chairs and sit out in the parking lot and solve the world problems. So uh, that's, that's those are kind yes, of something I do to keep myself busy. Lance Scheib has to be just one of the few people that you've made some serious relationships with along the way. Do you have a cool story as far as on the road going to events or just any story at all with some of your colleagues that you can tell? Oh, oh boy. Well, you know, Jake Query, who's a longtime, you know, sports personality here, also a longtime member of the radio network, for some reason is is enamored with uh, dead celebrities. Uh, and, and so a few years ago, we're at Long Beach and, and, and we decide to go to uh, the Hollywood Forever Cemetery where a lot of celebrities are buried. But we're driving around the cemetery. We can't really find any. And so uh, so we um, we stopped by this uh, this house. It looked like a house in the cemetery. It's all stucco. There was a guy standing outside of it. So Jake stopped over. He asked the guy a question. Well, he disappears into this building with this guy. 
And and I said to Nick Yeoman, I said, if he doesn't come back, did he leave the keys? He said, yeah. And I said, good. At least we have a way home. So that's how worried we are about Jake's well-being. Uh, so Jake comes out a few minutes later and waves us into the building. Well, when we walk into the building, there are no walls in there. It's just all tables and chairs. And um, there's food. There's uh, refreshments uh, of, of, of every size, shape, and form. And it's a room full of about 30 guys. And it looks like a scene out of The Godfather. Well, the guy that Jake was talking to, his name is Arson, and he's Armenian. And he's the stone cutter at the cemetery. And it's Armenian custom every year on the anniversary of his father's death for him to get all his father's friends and their family together and have a celebration of his life. And that's what we stumbled upon. And so they invited us to join them for the celebration. So, you know, within 10 minutes, we're in there and we're part of this celebration. The guys are patting us on the back and making us feel welcome. Well, we meet the president of Hollywood Forever Cemetery, who happens to be there. Well, he's an Indiana guy. So we told him how we ended up in the cemetery. So he orders his assistant to bring a golf cart out and he proceeds to take us on a golf cart tour. Well, Mickey Rooney is a legendary actor, um, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Mickey Rooney had just passed away. So he was taking us over to the mausoleum where Mickey Rooney was about to be laid to rest. And he said, how long are you guys in town? And we said, well, we've got to leave Monday morning. He said, well, if you can get your flight changed to Monday afternoon, you can come and be pallbearers at Mickey Rooney's funeral because none of his family is going to show up. Well, we, we were able to get our flight changed. But but anyway, we, we got to go into the, <laughs> the L.A. Philharmonic, uh, which you're not supposed to go into. Uh, but, I mean, it was just that's those are just the crazy things that we 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 stumble upon. I mean. Uh, we've seen the original Brady House in Los Angeles, California. Uh, we've seen the home that was the centerpiece for the movie E.T. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. It's just it, it's crazy what we've stumbled into, which is a really cool part of, of what we get to do. That's awesome. Uh, Mr. Dans, we got one last question for you. We know you're taking your time for us, and uh, thank you so much. But last question uh, mishaps happen in a broadcast. Obviously, we know that you don't have those mishaps. No. What is the closest you've ever came? What is the sketchiest moment on a broadcast? Well, I mean, there's no question. And, I, you know, I'll admit it. It was a mistake. A couple of years ago, um, the race at Texas uh, had been stopped because of a, a, a bad crash and then because of weather. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the race was to be run uh, about two months later. Well, because of the fact that, you know, we were only going to be at the track about an hour and a half, we decided to do that show uh, from from our studio here in Indianapolis. And um, we did not have a multi-screen monitor for that race uh, because they set up a skeleton crew and we didn't have the official IndyCar timing and scoring. We were taking it off the internet. And uh, I, I called the finish a lap early. I, I mean, I, I called, you know, Jay mm-hmm. Pitt, the winner and they kept going. Uh, fortunately for me, it was a night race and it happened at one o'clock in the morning when nobody was listening. Uh, but, but, but I, I know this moving forward, I, 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 you know, you, you, you take a mistake and you learn from it. You put yourself in a position where you don't make it again. And that's what we've done. So, you know, I, I, I told my boss from then on out, I said, listen, I don't care where we are or what we're doing, but anytime we get to the last lap, hit that intercom button and tell me white flag. Just, just so I know if I can't see the flag stand. And that's the problem. I couldn't see the flag stand, and I didn't have the lap count on timing and scoring. And, you know, we just lost track of, of, of the laps. And, um, you know, we, we covered it, made it work. We apologized for it, and we moved on. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a mistake that I don't plan to make again for sure. 
Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much, Mr. Jans, for your time. Uh, we'll ditch you out of here, ditch you to lunch with Coach Scheib, and really just thank you for your time. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, you guys are off to an amazing start with this, and congratulations to both of you. And, uh, again, uh, Jonah, look forward to having you in class this fall when things get back to normal. And, uh, Andrew, I've stated it publicly already. Uh, you're going you're gonna to cast a long shadow, but it, uh, if we have people like Jonah coming in behind you, uh, I, I think we're going to be in good hands. But uh, uh, continued success, Andrew, and I know your best is yet to come. You're going to go to Ball State and maybe in a few years come take my job, and I'll gladly give it to you at that point because I'll be ready for it. So. Guys, congratulations. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Mr. Jans, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to our listeners for listening. If you have made it this far, remember to follow us on Twitter at ST Squared 2, and you can hear our podcasts with, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. I'm Andrew Willett with Jonah Freeman, and today, Mr. Mark Jans. Thank you for listening. ST Squared.